And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks ahead of me because he was before me. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When the spirit of truth, truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the, th the things that are to come. Pilate asked him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this I was born and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate asked him, what is truth? So I'm going to uh, take the opportunity to share a few thoughts this Christmas. It's not a full length sermon, but it's an opportunity perhaps to reflect a little on uh, the meaning of Christmas for us in the world we live in. And the thing is, it seems to me that the reactions of some of people to the coronavirus pandemic have revealed a deep problem in our society. And this is the problem of knowing what to believe or who to believe. It is the problem of discerning where truth lies. Apparently, one third of Londoners have not yet taken up the option of a vaccine for the coronavirus. And as we stare down the barrel of another potential lockdown, it's both interesting and important to try and work out why this should be. Certainly, the lasting effects of racism and isolation will be part of this story, as some communities are disengaging because they don't trust those who are telling them to be vaccinated. But that's not the whole story. And there are many people who are turning away from the PowerPoint slides of Chris Whitty and the army of peer-reviewed scientific endeavour that lies behind his sage advice. There are many people who no longer trust the scientists and who would rather, as they would put it, do their own research. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm an academic and I'm all in favour of people doing their own research. But one of the early lessons researchers need to learn is that not all opinions are of equal value. Something uttered by a scientist who is engaged with and accountable to her peers will be of greater worth than the utterance of some bloke on YouTube who can't get his spurious theories published in reputable journals and so takes to the airwaves to complain about being cancelled by the scientific establishment. We have a crisis of knowledge, a crisis of truth. To give it its technical name, we have a crisis of epistemology. We do not know what we know or how to know what we think we know. And so as we gather today online again over Christmas, I wonder what we can hear together that will speak to our crisis of knowledge and our crisis of truth. 
Well, a few years ago now, I uh, loved reading the Philip Pullman novels, His Dark Materials. I've enjoyed uh, seeing the, the sequels, the books of dust and so on, and the, the televised series of that as well. Um, famously anti-religious uh, and condemned by certain quarters of the Christian church, uh, I actually found them to be a rare combination of both thoroughly enjoyable and profoundly thought-provoking. So in the uh, books by Philip Pullman, um, the church is represented by an establishment known as the Magisterium. This is a powerful and power-hungry organisation, constantly seeking to silence its critics and reassert its monopoly, which, to be fair, is not uh, an unrealistic caricature of what the church has become on many occasions over the last 2000 years. But in the novels, the looming authority of the Magisterium provides the backdrop for the adventures of the young female hero Lyra, who uh, goes on uh, at various adventures and comes into possession of a wonderful object known as the alethiometer or golden compass. And I was thinking, Matthew, of um, your, your sister's name here, uh, because uh, the word uh, alethiometer draws from the Greek word uh, aletheia, which means truth. And in a world of lies and untruths, the alethiometer in the stories points reliably to the truth but not always comfortably so. It enables those who know how to read it to access the deep truth of creation, which exists beyond the propaganda of the magisterium and its allies. And this idea of there being a deep truth, which Philip Pullman draws out through his novels, um, can cut through the light by which people live. And I think it's one of just several profoundly Christian concepts that Philip Pullman builds into his supposedly atheistic narrative. He could even be echoing John's gospel, which is shot through with the language of truth. And it's this concept of truth, this word aletheia, that we meet time and again in John's Gospel, and we heard it in those series of verses that Liz and I read a few moments ago. The prologue to John's Gospel is the closest thing that John's Gospel gets to a birth narrative. In the fourth Gospel there's no choirs of angels, there's no singing shepherds, there's no wise men, no virgin birth, no census, no inn, no donkey, no cattle lowing. All we get is this profound statement about truth. I'll read it again. John chapter 1 verse 14. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. And it's this word truth, aletheia, which means uh, literally to stop concealing, to, to reveal that which is concealed. And to see truth is to see the true nature of things which would otherwise be concealed or falsified or truncated or suppressed. Aletheia, truth, reveals the full or the real state of affairs. It is to see things as they really or truly are. And in a world of supposed post-truth, fake news and vaccine misinformation, it can be very hard indeed to know what the true or real state of affairs is. Social media giants turn to their algorithms in an effort to counter the spread of fake news, but those same algorithms create the echo chambers of false truth 
where lies about the coronavirus vaccine, for example, take root in people's lives, leading to avoidable deaths and global lockdowns once again. You don't often hear me talking about Satan, but it's interesting that John's Gospel describes the personification of evil as being the father of lies. The contrast is clear in the Gospel. If Jesus reveals truth, then the opposite of this is the evil of lies and deception. And the whispering of lies as they sneak into our social media streams and our WhatsApp groups, whirling around the globe and killing people with their deceptions, is surely as good a description as any of the work of the evil one. The recent resurgences of far-right political ideologies in Europe can in part be traced to the spreading of fake stories about refugees on platforms such as Twitter and WhatsApp. And lies and falsehood can take root and spread so quickly in our world. And in the midst of all of this, how are we to know truth? What is to be our guide to the truth? Unfortunately, we don't have Philip Pullman's alethiometer to help us distinguish truth from lies. There is no perfected spiritual algorithm to which we can turn for a calculated answer. Rather, says John's Gospel, we hear the truth through the word of the Father spoken in the person of Jesus, mediated to us by the revelation of God's Spirit. And the truth of all these things is made known to us through the life of the one in whom God becomes flesh. It is as we hear the stories of Jesus that we are signposted to the truth of the witness that he gives. It's like we are invited to read the world through the lens of Jesus, to hold up the ideologies, beliefs and actions of those around us and measure them against the words and actions of Jesus. And I worry that all too often Christians don't do this. They all too often become obsessed with a narrow biblicism where we use the words of the Bible as some kind of yardstick forgetting that the words of the Bible are simply there to point us to the ultimate word made flesh who lived among us and who continues to witness to our spirits by his spirit of truth. Truth, according to John's Gospel, is known by the inner witness of the spirit, whispering the truth of Christ's witness to the depths of our being. And I do understand that in some ways this can seem a highly unsatisfactory answer because it is so subjective. And I do understand that in a world of uncertainty, people long for the certainty of a written guide that will lead them into truth if they follow it carefully enough. And I really do understand the desire to have access to the word of God in written form that can be held and read and followed. But none of that is what John's Gospel says we have. The Christian Bible is not God's written truth for us to follow, any more than John the Baptist was himself the Messiah. Rather, the Bible testifies to the truth because it points us to Jesus, just as John the Baptist testified to Jesus and pointed to him. The law of Moses was the Jewish attempt to capture truth in written form. And the Christian message is that Jesus comes to fulfil that law by writing it onto our living hearts, into our daily lives. It is no longer set in tablets of stone or scrolls of parchment. The word of truth, it seems, cannot be contained in stone or book, because this word is alive 
It dwells among us, speaking truth to our hearts by the spirit of truth that is active in our lives. And this spirit of truth, the spirit of Jesus, who is God made flesh, brings truth to birth in our lives, just as Jesus came to birth in Bethlehem in Judea. And so here we find ourselves at the heart of Christmas and the enduring significance of the baby in the manger. Jesus came to a world of sin and darkness to unmask the lies and to reveal truth. And he does the same thing in our world today. Letting the spirit of Jesus into our lives is a dangerous thing, because once we start to listen to the whispers of truth, we start to see the world differently. And once we see it differently, we, we then have to start living differently. As truth is born in our lives through the witness of Jesus, the lies by which we have previously lived and by which we are often comforted are challenged and stripped away. The birth of the word of truth is an uncomfortable thing, as any birth should be. New life does not come easily, but it does come whether we're ready or not. And so this morning, as we gather to worship the child in the manger, I wonder if we can hear his cry of truth echoing down the years to us today. So a moment of reflection. We're going to have our prayers of intercession now, which we will do responsively. Uh, I will read the words in light type and Liz will read the words in bold, um, and I invite you to say those along at home as well. Lord Jesus, we thank you that your coming into the world brings joy, hope and peace. We pray for those who are happy today and for those who are sad. Bless them with joy, hope and peace. For those spending Christmas with family and for those on their own, we pray for joy, hope and peace. For those who are ill today and those who are grieving, we pray for joy, hope and peace. For those who are afraid and those who are in danger, we pray for joy, hope and peace. For one another and for all those we love, we pray for joy, hope and peace. Amen. May the joy of the angels, the eagerness of the shepherds, the perseverance of the wise men, the obedience of Joseph and Mary and the peace of the Christ child be yours this Christmas and the blessing of God Almighty, creator, redeemer and sustainer be among you and remain with you always. Amen. <laughs>